0: Welcome to Koos' Corner, a platform for passionate, unscripted discussions with my guests, to entertain and inspire you. Let's get into this episode. Christian's back from the bathroom. We're good. Yes, sir. I'll start us off with the purpose of the podcast today. We have uh, a pretty exciting one for you guys, so... uh, Hope you enjoy it. But just to start off, here's the purpose of this podcast. The purpose is to bring a deeper meaning to the lives of ourselves and others. We'll do this by expressing our ideas, leading to discovery of their strengths and weaknesses through discussion. This feedback will highlight direction in our self-improvement journeys and hopefully in yours as well. So with that, I'll hand it over to Christian. Love it. Love it. So um,
1: today we're going to talk about discipline and and I'm very excited for this topic because we've got a great friend of mine from Australia, Alex Goik, joining us today. And just to give a little bit of background on, on Alex and specifically why why he's talking to us about discipline. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll say that now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Wh- while I was in Australia, I've told Alex this before, but both he and his roommate Jade exposed me to a from what, what I saw to be another level of discipline that I hadn't realized I was actually capable of, or that we were almost, we were almost allowed to do on a daily basis. And it's inspired me to be more disciplined now that I'm home. Uh, some examples of Alex's discipline include a, a regular jiu-jitsu practice. I believe you're completing your master's right now. Is that right, Alex? Uh, PhD yeah PhD PhD yeah. my mistake and working as a tutor as well. He's a vegan. he showers cold. He has published a book of journals along with his housemate Jade, who was also doing his PhD and gives I don't know I don't want to say regular, but has given talks and will in the future at the local monastery about the topic that your PhD covers, which I believe is broadly, Described as technology and terrorism. So is that, that, is,
2: that's yeah, Jade. That's Jade side of things. Yes, I guess like the intersection of Jade and I's work, where Jade's focused on uh, ideology, specifically far-right ide- ideology and you know terrorist ideology, uh, and m- myself more on the back end of uh, digital platforms and and how uh, essentially how different people uh appraise the role of technology in society today um and you know trying to understand and unpack the different justifications people have for adopting new technologies and using those new technologies mm-hmm. so yeah but th- you know thank you so much for having me on board um you know christian and, and it's a pleasure to meet marcus i think that what you guys are doing uh in this podcast is really fantastic document- documenting your own journey of uh, I guess self discovery, you could say, and uh, it's it's something that I'm really excited to contribute to today. So mm, awesome, amazing, amazing!
0: That's yeah, great to have you on, especially uh, representing our our la- large Australian following. <laughs> so yeah, we got, we got an I, Aussie native on on the show today.
2: <laughs> yeah, Aussie native. Yeah, that's right. Count you,
0: uh, uh,
1: just just as a, a starting point, Alex, just to kind of launch us launch us off onto discipline. I'm curious, because I know you used to do, and I could be wrong, so correct me if I am, but I believe you used to do cage fighting. Yeah. Yeah. And were you in studying as well at the same time?
2: Yeah. So I think that martial arts for me was a big, um, you know, uh, motivating factor for setting me on this path of, I guess just always trying to uh, better myself and keep keep learning and acquiring new skills. Um, and so, yeah, I started martial arts when I was 16 mm. and um, had you know a couple of kickboxing fights. Then I went to MMA and was training MMA here in Australia. Uh, and when I was studying in China and living in China, I was training over there as well. Um, and then I came back and yeah, had that cage fight which i won. But after that point I was, I thought, um, you know, as someone that wants to use their brain, uh, in the future that, you know, that was probably enough for me. Mm -hmm. And now I get my kicks out of competing in jujitsu and training in jujitsu. Um, and yeah, I think that for me, uh, martial arts is definitely something that, uh, taught me a lot about, I mean, a number of different, different things, but when it comes to discipline about the power of consistency, you know, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because people that I've met will look at some of the things that I do in my daily life. And I've heard people say, Oh, you're very disciplined or he's very disciplined, but I've never really considered myself as such because really I lucked out. And when I was younger in getting something like martial arts and realizing that it's just consistency, mm. um, and you know, it really is consistent because once you have built up a skill or a habit, yeah, and you can't imagine your life without that. And yeah. so you're not doing it because you're—it's not something that you have to exert a lot of willpower or mm-hmm. exert a lot of discipline, because it's just ingrained in who you are as a person. And you're so you're actually it, drawn towards it. Yeah. Anything. This, this comes to one of the talking
1: points and then it just, you, you've kind of brought it up already. So I'll, I'll, I'll mention it specifically now, but I believe for true, like longevity and discipline, you've got to be applying that discipline to something that you really enjoy. Yeah. And if it's not something that you enjoy doing then that discipline, then it, will, it will be hard to maintain in the long term. Yeah. So that's kind of, it sounds perhaps from that's why from other people's perspectives, yeah. it sounds like you're extremely disciplined because that's mm-hmm. not something they want to be doing yeah so yeah part exactly.
0: of it is a process like at the beginning it, it seems like discipline because you're just starting out that routine but like you said eventually it just gets gets to a point where it's just it's normal right mm-hmm. it's, it's funny that you bring up um like martial arts um i used to box growing up and i would say like similar they're, they're like in a similar category but it just seems like the overall culture of martial arts and jiu-jitsu, there's a bit more discipline involved in that culture. Uh,
1: mm. and I'd say, Do you think it's because there's more history there? Like, because there is a real culture behind it, not just, it's mm. not just a sport. Like, I, I don't know if I want to call boxing just a sport, but from a surface level, that's kind of how it appears to me. Sorry to interrupt you, Marcus there.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, Marcus yeah. is, is, there is a true tradition and a lineage behind boxes as well Um, but there's this idea of for example in jiu-jitsu when you step on the mats everyone says you know you say us and you say us to the you know to the coaches and to your training partners after the session and it's funny because i don't think a lot of people actually know what that means and in japanese my interpretation of it is that it means it's a signal that you know first of respect but also that you agree kind of it's a, an agreement and a pact that you're here to better yourself mm-hmm. and that you're here to push past you know boundaries and past uh you know limits that you had or that you had on yourself together mm-hmm. and it's, it, it that's all summed up in that one word of, of us right that you're going to push past um who you thought you previously were and you know achieve together and Maybe it does have something to do with that history and that lineage, but I think that boxing as well has that same kind of gravitas to it as well when you step into the into the ring.
0: I, I think it, just as you're talking about it now, I, I think when you reach any elite level of, of a sport and um, people associate that with discipline quite a bit because they see that you're putting in work, you're putting in hours you're doing that every day, every morning, maybe twice a day, whatever, however often. Mm. Um, but, and it's, it's easy to see that discipline, but then you can also translate that into your regular life, which I, mm, I right. people exactly. often don't realize. And um, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's a little less obvious and maybe it's less glamorized. And um, maybe like, You know meditating every day doesn't have the same you don't get the same accolades as you know training in jujitsu every every day to then win the championship you know there's Mm -hmm. meditation discipline there's no championship to win but in the end there are still great benefits of doing it yeah so i don't know like I don't know what it is about elite sports, but that's just, I I feel like the easiest one that people can see discipline.
2: Yeah, I would. um, It's really funny that you bring that up, that, you know, this kind of achieving and realizing what you're capable of in one domain leaks into others. And slowly you realize you can apply that to different areas of your life and have the same effect, sustainable Mm -hmm. success. And so it's really funny. Christian, I saw that in your reading list that, you've got Miyamoto Musashi's Book of Five Rings. Yes. You know, that is just such a classic. Miyamoto Musashi, for the listeners that don't know, is considered Japan's greatest swordsman. And he was, uh, for a Japanese, he was fairly big. He was about six foot or so, so a fairly big set man. And he's esteemed for having created this style of sword fighting using two swords, using two katanas which are the japanese kind of samurai swords and musashi was a ronin and a ronin was a wandering samurai that didn't have a lord right that didn't serve anyone he just was wandering the country in pursuit of combat and in pursuit of honing himself through trial and he was famed for having killed you know in the end 60 60 guys or so right other trained men in combat with swords and so you can imagine the kind of mind that would be forged through that kind of a trial but it's interesting because I feel like I can barely imagine it like that that actual lifestyle but continue no way yeah I totally agree and when you hear stories of you know some of these Mongolian archers as well that achieve such uh you know incredible skill with the bow right where they would shoot at the perfect time when the horse was just in the air pulling back on these incredibly powerful short bows Um, I think that there's a lot of skills intricate physical skills like that that we've definitely lost and that we might not ever see again Mm -hmm. um, purely because of the different responsibilities that we have now living today but to get back to our story of Musashi he actually got to an age where he essentially retired I guess you could say he beat uh, Kojiro Sasaki who was one of his biggest rivals he used this really 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 long sword Mm-hmm. And the two of them met on this island together and they had this very famous duel. And Musashi, on the way over to the island, he was carving out of the boat or a wooden, a wooden sword. And when he got to the island, he killed um, this guy, Kajiro Sasaki, in one blow with the wooden sword. Nice. And then after that, after that, he essentially retired and he became almost a monk-like figure. He lived in, you know, a monastery, and that's when he wrote the Book of Five Rings. And in the Book of Five Rings, he was saying that his very, very famous one of his very famous quotes is, um, "If you know one way, you will know all ways broadly." And that that. Is, and that is exactly what you were saying before the both of you about knowing one skill and applying discipline in one domain and realizing that you can achieve excellence there, literally opens up the path to whatever you imagine. I, do you mind if I, I
1: think that's beautiful. First of all, like it's a great story and there's a lot of truth to that. I think actually you and I, we've talked about this before, Alex. I remember exactly where we were, we were walking down the street. We were oh. talking about the, the brilliance of uh, having sort of developed a bit of, well, discipline and knowledge in one field that's super specific and having gone through a, I'm not going to say complete, it's never complete, but a near complete and continuously striving to be complete learning process in one in one discipline and how that's allowed us to see our potential in other areas and it's this strikes an interesting idea where I think a lot I think something that can hold people back from finding this it's not necessarily lack of discipline it could be lack of discipline but it could also be lack of specified discipline so if you're trying to do five things can all the time but you're not maybe over 20 years you know you'd you'd be able to find this but in the short term you wouldn't be able to give any of them the proper attention and so i think this draws that almost like a prerequisite to specify your discipline in one area at first Mm -hmm. and learn that lesson and then be able to apply that lesson to any area of your choosing
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well i think part of the reason why people tend to do broad like they strive for broad discipline instead of honing in on one or two specific things is people are generally, I wouldn't say more often, but like people are caught up a lot with the extrinsic motivators. So like the achievements, the accolades, the, the how like other people will think about them if they work out every day, that type of stuff where it's, it's um, positivity getting like, brought on to you from others or other things. Mm -hmm. And I think when you start to specify one specific thing, that is generally something that you are very intrinsically motivated. Mm -hmm. Obviously the intrinsic motivation goes a lot further, but right now a lot of people sometimes get caught up with doing too many things instead of just focusing on the one thing that they're truly passionate about. And when you are truly passionate about something, it makes it a whole lot easier to stick with the routine. Uh, yeah. So I think that plays a key role in, in like the motivators for, for discipline.
2: For sure, yeah. That that passion is essential. And also, you touch on this point about you know being uh, you know externally motivated. Uh, and particularly today, you can you're we're encouraged to be externally mo- motivated and validated. Um, you know, by the different, you know, systems that we participate in, social media and the like, Um, and we're also operated on by these same systems. Um, And it's kind of this feedback cycle where we want that and our biology like yearns for that kind of social approval, and the Mm -hmm. systems also demand our attention. So there's there's space here to be really compassionate to yourself, because you've got to recognise that we're living in an age where You've never had, you've never been more distracted. You've never had your attention dragged in different directions than ever before, and so I think that you've got to be really uh, considerate of that and take that into account when you're trying to establish a, you know, some kind of new practice or some kind of new skill that requires discipline. Because discipline isn't something; it's not a eternal wellspring that you can keep drawing resources out of, right? needs to be replenished it's limited it's limited
1: i think
0: that's a very good point
1: um so i think also or yeah to add on to what you what you're saying there alex um with social media we're, we're more distracted and we're also being shown consistently the most elite or the best version of people in whatever discipline it might be that we're trying to be disciplined in and so that can be extremely discouraging because it takes time to get there. Like we've discussed, but if, first of all, if you're not able to stay focused, then you're being shown the best people and then you're trying to be broad in your, in your practice and in your trainings in your discipline. Then I think those are three factors that are striking against you right mm-hmm. away in terms of motivation, because you're not going to get there right away. Yeah. When you like, when you see those people. Okay. Um, The second is that, uh, sorry. Yeah. Well, one, you know, you can see those people and you're not going to be able to achieve that right away Two, your attentions being torn into many different pieces. So like even today I noticed just my brain naturally draws for my phone. And if I put it out of the room, when I'm working out, my workout increases or improves dramatically. Mm. Yeah. It was, I don't know. It's fantastic. Going back
0: to social media though, a little bit. Um, Like, obviously, I think it's all about how you use it. And there are different tricks that we can use to to actually encourage our discipline. Like for yourself, Christian, you this past week decided that you wanted to start changing the way that you used Instagram, right? You decided, you know, I want to start posting more about like the true stuff that I do every day. And you can use that as a motivator to then say, you know what? on my social media, I'm gonna post a video of me working out every day. That's gonna to start to become my brand. And you can use that branding like to motivate you to continue with your discipline. Because like you said, with social media, the, the extrinsic feedback of a like, you know, like it it does do something to our brains. You're, you're not gonna tell me that you post a, a photo and you're not like ever going to care about the likes, you know? Um, And with our podcast, Christian and I sometimes like to see how many people listen to the podcast, Mm -hmm. do it to, to get tons of listeners, but we, there's still something about that feedback that is a really nice, you know, sense of, of affirmation of what you're doing is good. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think that the way that you use social media, like once you start tricking your brain, um, to, to use it in a different way it can certainly go a long way. And I think from the discussions that Christian and I have had uh, over the past couple of weeks, it's all about finding those little tricks to your brain. Um, Alex, I wanna ask you, just because you've been doing some research in digital technology, um, are there any other like ways or any other tips you have to, to include technology into like your practice of discipline?
2: um i think that you know the first thing to recognize is um that these systems and platforms don't want you operating at a high level of cognition when you're using them right there's a reason when you go on facebook or you go on instagram irrespective of the reason that you have in mind uh that might be a really healthy reason that Five minutes go by and you realize, oh, I've just been scrolling or oh, I've just been doing this or looking at someone or, you know, you get caught in this hole. It's because there are no, um, you know, uh, pit stops put into that technology that can cause your you to use your higher executive function, right? Mm-hmm. Your, your frontal lobes to kind of consider and reevaluate what you're actually doing and using the platform for and everything, you know, when it comes to likes, the infinite news feed. Um, all of these things are ways to keep you trapped in a lower level of cognition, right? So you know that the, bra- the, the brain has evolved in layers where over time you have, you know, the base layer, the reptilian brain, the, neo- uh, the paleomammalian brain, and then the neo-mammalian brain. And so each, you know, each layer of the brain is responsible for different faculties. And the idea of these technologies is to keep you in the reptilian brain, in the um, paleo-mammalian uh, brain, right? So thinking uh, at a level where you're making kind of, almost, because the, you know, the frontal lobes, one of their primary roles is to override these sense of impulses that you get, where it's like, I wanna you know, uh, have sex or eat or, or fight or flee, right? These base instincts that are automatic to, an, to a degree, it's the higher executive function, the frontal lobes, that determine, you know, maybe I shouldn't eat that cake because I want to achieve X in the future, or maybe I shouldn't do this because it might impact my relationship with someone else. All of those things are turned off and deliberately so uh, by these companies. Uh, And as Tristan Tristan Harris, who uh, he did that uh, great um, documentary on Netflix that's gone viral, The Social Dilemma. And also he was a the one of the head design ethicists for Google is essentially saying it's a race to the bottom of the brainstem where you have all of these different companies competing to figure out how can we get your attention focused on our platform for as long as possible, because their business model is predicated on selling that attention to advertisers in order to get you to act in a way that you would not have normally acted. And so I think that any kind of, responsible use of technology and and any kind of um uh, use of technology that's produ- productive for your long-term interests needs to appreciate that uh but at the same time you know you hear these people that design these the, these technologies saying themselves admitting to their own addictions yeah and because that's how good they've gotten it because they, they've had one of the biggest tragedies of our age is they've had they, they they got all of these you know engineers, behavioral scientists, they're all working for these companies and they've been incredibly successful in, in achieving that. But, it, seems uh, like, hmm.
1: it seems like the modern day biggest threat to discipline is lack of discipline with technology. Like if, if we were able to learn how to be disciplined with our technologies and shut our phones off and be completely cut off from them for extended periods of time. And then when we use them to be using them in a very specific manner, hmm allow us to enhance our discipline overall
2: and, and, and our mm. success in those areas. Yeah. I think that you're exactly right and there's multiple layers to this. There has to be a design dimension and also on the level of the individual there has to be first recognition and understanding of this because it's very complicated as well yeah. to appreciate this massive change that we've all been a part of. Uh, to recognize that and then to incorporate some kind of Uh, concentration practice some kind of mindful practice like meditation and one of the monks at Nantian Temple here in Wollongong they have the Nantian Institute here which is also one of it's a higher education institute like a university and they teach um, courses on humanistic Buddhism and one of the things that uh, Venerable Jue Shu was saying is the need to develop mindful practices and meditative practices in order to you know when you're using these technologies be it because that's what meditation does uh so successfully is lets you reflect on what Mm -hmm. you're actually doing in any given moment i have a i have a a brief question for you there alex because
1: i find it very interesting how the social medias try to tap into our reptilian mammalian brains which essentially allows social media to override the function that you described earlier of our neo mammalian brain if i've got that right Neo? Yeah, the yeah. one that evolved lightest, which is mm-hmm. like the, yeah, the frontal lobes. Which, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but allows us essentially to have cohesive thoughts and analyze and plan and think about what it is that we're doing and be like, oh, maybe yeah. I should eat this cookie now because yes. I, I want to exercise and yes. do that instead. So we have less than a minute here. I'll, I'll finish off with a question. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back. But yep. what I'm trying to get at is essentially how does meditation then is it like the next sort of evolution of the brain to override the neomammalian brain if i've said that wrong my apologies Mm -hmm. but trying to override that decision-making capacity even to a further extent um i'm not sure if i phrased it perfectly but i think we'll we'll stop here for a second and then we'll come right back sounds good cool Mm -hmm. all right so uh, to anyone listening to this you'll just heard me say this and but too bad i'm saying it again (laughs) um so essentially alex i find it now give me a second here i'm going to try and play with the idea a little bit and i'm going to take my time to build it i think it's interesting how it seems to me that Each section of the brain has built on top of the previous one to enhance it and to provide something that wasn't there before. So the reptilian brain was essentially survival-based. How can we keep this person alive? Very selfish in that regard as well. And if you look at reptiles, I feel like they tend to be a little bit more selfish and you don't see a lot of emotion. However, when you start to look at mammals uh, like dogs and other humans and chimpanzees, They've got that mammalian brain, which provides emotions and fear, uh, excitement, lust, you name it. It's Mm -hmm. all greed. Actually, I don't know if greed It does (laughs) not matter. They're all part of that mammalian brain. And then the neo-mammalian brain, which is something that only we've developed as humans, allows us to rationally think about everything that's going on in those two levels to a degree. And I'd Mm -hmm. say it's actually a very superficial degree. But still, it's, it's enough to allow us to plan and organize around those needs and to work together. And I think Essentially, it,
0: multitask.
1: To mul- yeah, to multitask and, and plan not only look at what was in the past, but wasn't what's coming in the future, which is really important, I think, as well mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that to say, two things. One, as we've discussed, social media and apps, platforms like Instagram and most consumer goods try to market themselves towards our mammalian and reptilian brains because there's less rational decision decision making there, so we're more likely to buy that product or use that app on instinct. Um, however, not however, but well, I find it interesting that meditation almost seems to me to add another layer on top of the neo-mammalian brain because even when we're able to think rationally and use logic we often that logic is often driven by the mammalian or reptilian brain so Mm -hmm. we'll give ourselves a logic that allows us to stay on our phone for an extra five minutes which is easy to do Mm -hmm. and i think i find it very interesting how meditation provides this observer effect to assess the situation from an objective perspective and then try your best with that objective perspective to make a rational decision. And I just I'm, I'm I don't know, it's interesting to me like are we developing another brain through meditation? I don't know. It's already been going on for some thousands of years. From what
0: you're saying what I take from that almost is like we with this neo-mammalian brain. This is
2: that is that right Alex neo-mammalian? Yeah, so Neo-Mammalian, Paleo-Mammalian, and then the Reptilian. Okay. This
0: is the most technical we've ever gotten done on this
2: podcast. Great, But um, I'm a commenter when it comes to, believe me, I've learned most of what I'm talking about now off Jade. So it'll be good to get him on board because he will blow your mind with some stuff.
0: Awesome. So essentially with this stuff though, um, with the Neo-Mammalian brain, it gave us the ability to multitask. And what you're talking about, Christian, is this new level that we're forming, where we're learning how to manage all these distractions, all these different things that are coming at us. And the meditation is a technique that is helping us manage all of these, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the word sensit like things coming at us essentially.
2: Yeah. And stimuli, I guess. And yeah, and stimuli.
0: That's the exact word that I'm, I'm trying to find. fine.
2: Yeah, well, we know that you know part of the brain in long-term uh, meditation uh, practitioners that the parts of the brain associated with concentration and learning are improved uh, and in fact grow in size through meditation. Um, if you know anything about pl- plasticity and the way that plasticity works in the brain, it's not just that you know in, in strengthening synapses and, and and connections between different neurons in the brain. Different regions of the brain actually grow in volume and size as well, which I think is just incredible. Because yeah, it that's shows-
0: something I read that a, a couple months ago, and that blew my mind. Mm. Wow, this is incredible.
2: Exactly, and I think that this ties back in with discipline and willpower, and yep. setting and setting up um, good, healthy habits and skills. And actually, there's so I teach uh, some subjects at university in politics uh, international studies and the like and i always like to interject you know some kind of life advice whenever i get the chance and one of the lessons is what we've always we've been talking about throughout which is passion the idea of finding that passion and Mm. because if you have a passion it's easy because you would do it anyway you want to do it so finding that is essential but there's this other because there's a book that they have to read. Uh, it's this is a first year politics subject, and the book they have to read is Machiavelli's *The Prince*. And this is a very famous um, text in political theory. Essentially, it was written by this uh, a- Italian statesman, Machiavelli, uh, Niccolo Machiavelli. And he, in the book, he talks about you know what it takes to be uh, a king and to rule over people, and what kind of qualities you need. Uh, so, a very famous book. It's it's only about hundred pages or so 150 pages and so at the side of this subject i am explaining that they could get through this book if they set up little small you know uh, reading 10 pages a day they could finish it in like 3 weeks mm-hmm. and for a lot of them they might have never read an entire book or they this is their first real introduction into getting into some reading uh you know concentrated reading and the way that i like to describe this uh, discipline, willpower, and skills is I tell I use this analogy of a pool, a bucket, and a spoon. And so, if you can imagine that your willpower and your discipline, right, we're saying that discipline and willpower isn't some kind of uh, eternal resource that you can draw upon, it's finite. Uh, if you can imagine your willpower and discipline as a pool of water and the healthy habits that you have whether they be sleep, you know, nutrition, exercise, and then you go into these supplementary habits, you know, meditation Mm -hmm. and yada, yada, yada. They are a trickle of water that replenishes that inner pool of resources. Mm -hmm. And then you have unhealthy habits and they represent a leak that drains the pool of of water. Okay. So obviously you want to plug the leaks And you want to encourage and and turn that trickle into a stream that is replenishing the pool of water and in doing so, making that pool of water bigger and bigger and bigger, which means that your discipline and willpower over time will grow bigger and bigger. But the problem is when people go to start a new habit or a new skill, they approach the pool of water with a bucket, okay, a big bucket. Mm. because it takes a lot of time to establish a a skill. You've got to be consistent over a fair amount of time before that becomes a part of who you are, right? Before it becomes uh, automatic. And so they take this bucket and they say, you know, I want to make this change. I want to stop smoking or I want to study two hours a day or, you know, they have all these visions of how they're going to change their life. And it might work well for a week, But you're using a bucket and your pool of water is if you have a lot of unhealthy habits, if you don't have many established healthy habits yet, you're going to run out of resources quick, smart. And then after a week, that's it. You've given up on that skill and habit. Okay. And then the next one comes around. And again, you use a bucket and you quickly, and you see this all the time. Think about, you know, New Year's resolutions about getting fit.
0: Yeah. Even last week, I was telling Christian about trying to set a new sleeping schedule for myself. And I went, you know what? I want to wake up at six 30 every morning. Hey, mm. okay, I set the alarm for six 30 and right before six 30, it came around. I woke up and I turned off the alarm and I went, yeah. to bed. you know, and like, I can't go from waking up at eight 30 to six 30 in one night. So like, I'm yeah. just trying to do it in intervals, you know, like, take exactly. it's off each day and then eventually I'm going to reach six 30, but exactly. Yeah. And that, that was one of the times where that really sparked that thought of, you know, I'm trying to take out too much water here mm-hmm. and go, you know, it just, it's a lot easier to do it over time.
2: And exactly. That's exactly that's another another
0: example.
2: What, I, what that analogy illustrates Marcus, I think. And um, it's something that James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, it's a bestseller. It's been, you know, a lot of people have been talking about it recently, but this idea that when you're setting something up, you want to, you've got to set it up, you know, you've got to make it sustainable. You've got it to, to set something, a skill up, you have to be consistent and it has to be something that's sustainable. And if you exert yourself too much at the start, you're gonna quickly um run out of resources, willpower, and discipline. So, you know, what's interesting is I say that after I've explained this, I say that instead you wanna be using a spoon, right? When you're setting up a new skill, you wanna be going in. Um, with uh, some expectations and and you know thinking okay I'll commit to doing maybe ten minutes a day right you're taking a small spoon and using that spoon you're not going to you're not going to be uh, taking all of the resources out and you're not going to fail at establishing a new and healthy skill and over time you'll realize that in doing that the skill then becomes something that actually adds to the pool of resources so you've got a new skill. And if it's a healthy skill, a healthy habit, well, then over time, naturally, your pool of water, your, your willpower and discipline is going to grow and grow and grow exponentially mm-hmm. until you get to a point where, for example, today, um, this year, I committed to learning German. And I remember when I was a kid, because my mother's side of the family is, is, is German. And when I was in high school, my mother was trying to teach me. Uh, German and I was so resistant I didn't want to do it I had no concentration no willpower no incentive no passion for it Uh, and now having gotten to this stage and having set up you know all these other healthy habits it's much easier to now approach that pool of water with these expectations in mind and be able to set up a habit out of this that's going to be sustainable and lead to sustainable success I
1: think that was, that's br- a brilliant analogy and, and very well, very well put, very well hey, put.
0: I just have a question for you, Alex. So we mentioned at the beginning of, like we asked you at the beginning of the episode, kind of like, was there a, a spark moment where you just like flipped the switch and became more disciplined? And you said you kind of have always had it. Um,
1: because like, of martial arts partially,
0: right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. through martial arts. You talk about that, like, exponential growth and um, was there maybe not a spark but a moment where you realized that like that that growth of discipline that was really starting
2: to take off uh yeah i would say yeah as christian mentioned the because when i was a kid and growing up in high school i was very middle of the rung um wasn't exceptional in any you know not athletically not books wise and the, the the martial arts i think really started to bring that out and then i think getting free of high school and being uh, able to reconnect with some of the interests i had as a really young kid again and being able to be my authentic self uh led to this position where i realized oh if i keep on learning and if i keep on applying the same kind of mentality musashi's idea of if you know one way you will know all ways broadly that then was an incredible you know if you have that realization That's a superpower. That is a superpower. That is incredible because you can apply that to anything. You really can. It's just consistency, Mm -hmm. and it's just you know the the the, if you're consistent and you establish these healthy habits, it all feeds into one another. It It builds. It builds
1: this beautiful infrastructure that then allows you to expand off of that. Like if you start to take the bucket to the pool too early. You don't have the infrastructure that flow of water coming into the pool from your healthy habits to sustain. Exactly. But if you take your time with the spoon at first, you're building that infrastructure, you're building that healthy habit that adds to the flow of pool, which then allows you to eventually use a bucket for that habit. Yes. Because you know that you're getting so much more from that. Yeah. And then it allows you to
2: expand on that with other habits as well. Yeah. Which is. And therefore, I think that, you know, that really as well, if you think about the aging process, that's it's, It can be viewed as a glorious thing because if you, if you have that in mind, then over time you're naturally going to improve and, and, and be adding to your inner resources and mm. your ability to pick up new things. And we know about the plasticity of the brain. Your brain is malleable and it never cha- it, it Well, that's funny. <laughs> it changes. But the thing that never changes is that your brain never stops changing. So even until you're very old, the idea of plasticity is that you can, in, in accordance with your in, uh, environment and the stimulus in your environment, your brain is going to adapt and change in relation to that. And so that's a marvelous, uh, I think, reality about our minds. Yeah, that is that is
1: underrated. I think it's beautiful and inspiring because it essentially means that Every single negative, well, I'm not going to say every single negative quality about ourselves that we dislike is changeable because some things are intrinsic to who we are, mm. but it does mean that we have a lot more power than we are initially led to believe, or at least I was initially led to believe growing up mm. to change and grow into a greater version of ourselves as we age, which is essentially, I think yeah. what you've just described. Exactly. I think-
0: I think part of it also is uh, recognizing, like when you're you're being like ill-disciplined, you know. Like, there's so many times where you just go through the motions, and you you just like don't even recognize how how like poor your routines might be for you, or just like you're not able to be to recognize. You know what? Like, I'm making a poor decision in the long run. Yeah. And, Having that mind, like, it's something I've recognized, like, realized over the past week or so is something that really helps me is when I start saying, like, oh, you know what, like, I really should be doing that. Once I say that in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm doing it now. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost like it's when I know now that whenever I think I should be doing something, it's... I have to do it because if I'm having that thought, I know deep down that it's good for me. But then Mm. obviously before I didn't have the willpower to actually enact on it. Yes, Mm. Because you might not have learned that willpower. Exactly. And learn, not learned it. So like, I think Mm. it does take time to like start recognizing it and then learning it. And then also like acting upon it. I'm not saying that I have that down right now, but at least I'm at the beginning of like, you talk about that 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 period where you start going up exponentially when it comes to discipline. Like yeah. I'm at the very beginning of that. It's exciting though. That's exciting. And I think that's kind of why Christian and I both wanted to to start this podcast mm. because Christian's a bit further along the process than me. I don't know about that, but or, or we're around similar areas. It, yeah, I mean, yeah, it
1: doesn't. Yeah. But um I actually I have a question for both of you, Marcus and Alex, are there on the, on this topic of, of using gradual and then exponential discipline to grow into, um, new and beneficial habits that add that flow of water into your pool. Is there any, are there anything, are there any specific or concrete examples of habits that you're trying to develop right now or areas of your life that you'd like to, to grow into or character?
0: I, I can go ahead right now, um, just because I feel like over the past month or two or so, I've really started to get routines in my life, like in the mornings especially, um, and that's something that I've been trying to make a conscious effort, and one of the main things is uh, is just reading, so like in in school and grow, growing up, primary school, middle school, high school, even university, you have books that you're told to read you're like forced upon reading and most of the time these are not books that you're interested in because you're not choosing them and um, you will get the odd book that like a teacher chooses for the class that you really do enjoy um, but in the end like we all have our own interests of what we want to read mm-hmm. and just seeing that like so many people that are successful in their own way uh or just feeling fulfilled a lot of them tend to read quite a bit um, because of the 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 stuff it does for your brain it inspires ideas you know it it um, it works on your creativity your plasticity as well i'm sure yeah you're consuming more knowledge you're learning a ton as you do it so for me that's something that i was like i'm really focusing on now that i want to try and read and i'm not saying I have to read a, a book a week or a book a month. Um, but I'm working on it, you know, like it's, I'm at the beginning. So I can't go into it with a bucket. I need do you have, what's your
1: spoon, Marcus?
0: My spoon? What's your spoon? Well, I'm trying to do it every day. Um, but just just read a chapter or 10 pages, whatever, every day. Um, but one of the things is I'm not holding myself like set to that structure um Mm -hmm. which is something i want to talk about maybe after alex uh gives his answer to to your question
2: i was just going to you know really agree with that but i actually was keen on hearing you finish what you were just going to say there, marcus okay Um, yeah
0: i can go ahead with it and this is something that i've been talking to christian quite a bit about and when we talked about doing an episode on discipline i was like okay i want to ask this question um How do you guys go about setting structure? And and do you allow yourself to have a bit of flexibility? Like, are those cheat days included in that structure where you say, you know what, I'm going to be doing this six times a week and allow myself to have one day off? I don't know which is the specific day I'm going to take off. But if one day comes about this week that I want to take off, it's okay for me to do it. So mm-hmm. you give yourself a little bit of wiggle room to, to fail. Do you think that's a more beneficial way of doing it, or do you want to go right for structure, or does it depend on the task? Like it's a pretty loaded question there, but that's kind of what I've been struggling with recently.
2: Mm. For for me, I've I tend to do things in in blocks. So I'll get really interested or passionate about you know something. Um, but I'll, and I'll do it, you know, consistently for like three months or six months maybe, but then it changes. So, you know, it might be that, uh, for a while I was listening to a couple of affirmations, uh, day every day for, you know, three or four months. Uh, but then that, that changes and same with the meditation, you know, I'll be doing, trying to do loving kindness. Okay. Let's go down this route and see what this route's going so within the broader range of meditation like it's contributing towards meditation but you're changing it up enough to give that kind of flavour and to, to keep you dynamic and moving and shifting but it's like training training you want to periodize your training yeah. you don't just go hell for lever all the time you're focusing on something usually in you know 4 8 uh 12 16 week blocks for the most part and so i think that that kind of an approach is really important but also what you were just saying then is that you've got to be compassionate to yourself. I learned something. I remember when I was living in Shanghai and I was training in this MMA gym there. um, It took an hour on the crowded subway there and backwards to get uh, there and back together, two hours of training. I'd get back to this little hotel that I was living in at around 10 at night. And I remember um, I was a bit younger then, maybe 22 or so. And I had these expectations, this, this, the, these expectations for where I wanted to be and I was appraising where I was in in the moment in the training practice against this vision of where I wanted to be and that is that's not it's good to have goals but you you've got to use those goals as you know um, essentially something that you you keep in mind and you reflect on but not something that you want to be focusing on every day because what matters every day is the practice is the here and now if you if you do ten minutes, you want to do that ten minutes to your best of your abilities, and that's all you need to focus on because it's the accumulation that leads to the success. So there's no real point in appraising yourself against kind of some standard that you have in the future, um, because that's not realistic. And it also, you know, if you beat up on yourself, there really is nothing good that comes from you beating up on yourself and you being negative in yourself. What ha- if you make a mistake? And this is what I learned in martial arts. Like I, I would finish from, from training in this gym in Shanghai and I'd, be, and I'd think, oh, you know, you'd focus on the, ne- on the negative. We have this negativity bias. You only focus on what went wrong. And, you know, I used to be so, so hard on myself. Like, why didn't you do this? Why couldn't I do this? And, and all of that only contributed to making me, you know, depressed more than anything. And so being as an object as objective as possible, if there's something you're unhappy about looking after the practice or after the session or after the conversation that you have, you know, with your parents or with your spouse or whatever it may may be and thinking, what can I do better next time? You know, reminding yourself of that when you need to. But any kind of being critical of yourself or being judgmental about yourself, that's only going to set you up for failure. You've got to try and and this is something that I constantly need to work on this idea of self-compassion, but that really is is uh, is essential, I think, uh, when it comes to what we're talking about now, yeah.
0: Christian, if you wanna add anything, you, you can go ahead. But
2: yeah, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to.
1: Um, so I'd like to comment on something that Alex just said there, and then I'll, I'll come back and answer your questions directly, Marcus. Cool. So you've sparked sort of two ideas that, um, two ideas in my head there, Alex, two ideas. The first, and I really like what you're saying about being compassionate with yourself. And I'm not a, I wouldn't, this is a caveat. I'm not a very religious person at all. And I don't feel specifically drawn towards any religion, but I do have one quote in my head from the Bible that I'd like to bring up right now. I think it's one that everyone's heard before. It's essentially treat others the way you'd like them to treat you. And that's often viewed as, okay, I, I know I want people to be nice to me, so I'm going to be nice to them. But an interesting way to flip that and look at it as well is to consider how do you treat other people cons- under the assumption you treat them well, which I know you guys do, and then look at how you actually treat yourself in comparison to that. And we should be treating ourselves just as well as we treat other people. Mm. Um, so that's one thought that I, I wanted to share. On ter- in terms of negative th- thought cycles, something I've learned recently from Mark Devine, who you know about Alex. Mm-hmm. So we have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day on average. The average person is somewhere between 60 and 80,000 thoughts a day. And 80% of those are negative for the average person. So we're caught in these consistent negative loops that we don't realize we're having. We, most, I think most people, especially if you're not meditating, especially then it's hard to catch on to the fact that you're beating yourself up consistently because it's just like the air you're breathing. It's just Mm -hmm. part of life for you. And you you never think to question it. And so I think compassion is huge. um, in you know, moving towards your goals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then in terms of answering your question, Marcus, I think a lot of it has to do with understanding yourself and something i know i figured out about myself recently specifically i i was preparing for an interview for about a month which was way too much it was way too much time for just a conversation essentially and the part of the reason i did that is because i'm not working right now so i have a lot more time on my hands i'm not socializing with people and so i became very very concentrated sorry um And I realized that concentration was was to my detriment because I wasn't able to temper that with socializing, with relaxation, with just being weird and having a good time. And as a result, from my perspective, the interview went worse. Um, I agree a lot with what you were saying, Alex, about segmenting blocks. And I think I do that as well. It allows you to really dive into something and learn it, what we were talking about earlier, about like developing a discipline for a specific aspect and learning a bunch about it. And then moving on. And then that becomes almost like background unconscious knowledge and wisdom that you can apply to other areas of your life, which is which is great. But yeah, essentially I think Marcus, it's just know yourself. You've got to you got to know when you're not pushing yourself hard enough, which just takes time. And when you're pushing yourself too hard, and then Mm -hmm. find that balance just through trial and error. And eventually you find that line of best fit
0: yeah so the main takeaway from that is just uh a big part of it is just being compassionate with yourself and alex you brought up that you've struggled with it and i feel like we all struggle with it Um, Mm -hmm. and christian was just saying that 80 percent of our thoughts are negative so where does this come from where does this negative um energy towards ourselves come from is it something we learn from like when we're a mm. child is it just innately in human beings to think that way is it from evolution
2: like do you guys have any i think alex knows the answer to this. On that it, well the negativity bias makes sense from an evolutionary perspective when you consider the fact that you, the people our ancestors that were aware and cognizant of fear and danger probably lived better or, or were more successful at avoiding different shit than those that were focused you know only on the positive right so being the one that was more cautious or a bit uh you know skeptical when you were hunting or when you were foraging or of, you know keep bearing in mind like all the dangers around that could mess you up I think really contributed that to that kind of uh negativity bias that we're all uh you know we have today now at the same time i think that the culture and the society that we live in uh also uh elicits that because if you think about what consumerism does uh the you're never good enough because consumerism tells you that you always need to buy something to make you complete right Mm -hmm. and so the the expectations I think that we have and, and the view of, oh, I'm not good enough or uh, th- this is constantly hammered in whenever we go to the mall, whenever we're online, whenever we're anywhere really now, mm-hmm. we are so saturated in this idea of you're not good enough. You need something to make you complete. Uh, you know, that's how this kind of capitalist consumerist society works. So we've got to be uh, very cognizant and, and aware of that as well. Uh, yeah. I have a question for you. For you on that, Alex. So,
1: if, if the assumption, which I believe is pretty sound, is correct, that we have developed this negative bias because of our years of ancestors being essentially prey to other animals. And on a related note to that, if you look at predators, uh, the apex predator in most. Um, uh, what's it called again? ecosystems. In most ecosystems, thanks, Marcus. In most ecosystems, for example, a lion, they don't have a lot of anxiety naturally, because they don't have much to be afraid of, except for maybe another lion. And so they can often, you know, maybe you've heard of the lion's gaze, they're just staring out into the distance, not thinking, almost, you might say, meditating. And I wonder if meditation will allow humans to slowly move away from these prey instincts, these negative biases that we've ingrained in our DNA and Mm -hmm. move more towards that predator mindset sounds kind of aggressive, but this calm, relaxed, Mm -hmm. um, confident mindset that predators tend to to show. And I wonder if, do you think
2: meditation can be a tool
1: and maybe is the, the, the tool for that?
2: Yeah, I think that definitely when you're considering the level of the individual, given that what we know about the changes in the brain that long-term meditation can elicit on someone, that's definitely needed. But then you also have to be thinking about the environment because the brain yeah. changes because of the environment and the stimulus that you get. And so because of that, we have to think about how we structure the society that we live in. Like, Are we structuring the society that we live in to you know enhance human potential and to because we know so much about the the brain and behavior and psychology and what you know triggers that we need a tick to get people to do things in a certain way advertisers and marketers have known this for, for for you know decades now and so there's every reason why we could engineer these same kind of technical systems to really elicit the best out of you uh to align your use of technology with the goals that you have or the vision the future vision that you have for yourself there's every reason why you could design you know these different platforms to be encouraging you to use your higher executive functions your long-term planning as opposed to your reactiveness right as opposed to eliciting these emotions we know that on social media it's not rational discourse that drives discussion but it's emotion uh, and it's not just any emotion that drives posts and reposts of content. The number one emotion that's doing that is anger. And this is not just something that's, you know, true of uh, uh, platforms such as uh, Facebook and Twitter, right? On the, in, on, on, on the internet that w- you, you and I and, and Marcus use, but also on uh, Sina Weibo, which is, the sat- which is essentially the Chinese version of Twitter, Um, the biggest uh, social media platform in China. There too, it seems to be an inherent feature of the way that we've structured social media to have emotion and anger driving uh, reposts of content, posts of content engagement, irrespective of what's true or not, right? Irrespective of what's good for people and what's not good for people. It's anger that is driving this kind of... um, yeah, this this kind of uh I think a lot of the problems that we're bearing witness to today.
1: It it seems like the next iteration of social media should then be one that is based around developing the positive attributes that reside within us. Uh, the, negative. the deep end. what did you say, Marcus?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I was yeah, I heard uh, did someone dive into a pool there? Nah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I oh. think uh Some people might be working on uh, on something like this. Yeah,
2: we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, uh, for example, I mentioned Tristan Harris and Asa Raskin, who they run a podcast called Your Undivided Attention. Um, And they were also, you know, people in the Silicon Valley space, and they've created the Center for Humane Technology, which is essentially, just as you mentioned, how can you design these systems to ensure that, you know, to encourage cooperation and cohesiveness uh, and to encourage discussion across, for example, different spectrums of political belief um, or different identities instead of dividing people into these echo chambers and then, you know, encouraging the development of these unhealthy habits and the, the you know, the use of, of lower, uh, lower cognitive functions as opposed to higher uh, executive functions we are in our last
0: last minute of this um mm -hmm. we're gonna be taking another break and uh we'll be back in a second sure all right so uh we're back from the break and to finish off this episode we got a poem written by alex
2: thank you so much marcus and yeah to send us off i wanted to share with you this little poem really appreciate the podcast and excited for future episodes okay here we go what does it mean to be a samurai one who lives and dies to usher a battle cry to emerge unscathed from the danger of battle? No space can be made for distraction nor idle prattle. Fronting the vanguard on the attack and holding the line in retreat, cowardice for the samurai is the lowest form of self-deceit. A lifetime of years spent spent preparing for death, loss of honour through cowardice would be the greatest of thefts. Martial expertise manifests in the glint of blinding metal. Through heartache and suffering, the samurai can still appreciate the the flower petal. Overcome fear of death and fight until the very end, upon the battlefield the warrior will meet his fate and transcend. Severed from this world, now bound for the one after, can you not hear the boatman and his callous laughter? Primal rage resides within us all, but rather than be a slave to this emotion, upon his sword the samurai would rather fall. The warrior understands this rage, he knows it well. Long ago he honed this spirit and this rage he did quell. Refined through training of both body and mind, from the world of shallow ego and brittle temperament, the warrior has resigned. He once danced with the demons in his chest, overcoming adversity, he has laid these demons to rest. Some claim the warrior spirit has no place in modern life, confusing discipline and service with brutishness and strife. But the way of the samurai resides with stillness and tranquility, Between the samurai and the brute, there is no propinquity. Living for others and living to serve, honour and integrity are staples the samurai preserves. The brute is driven by primal impulse, the samurai by duty. The former relishes in the pain of others, the latter puts an end to cruelty. Learn from the samurai, adopt his mentality, shield yourself from modern life and its comfortable depravity. Daily training and contemplation of death's spectre, May sound arduous, but they serve as the warrior's protector. Refuse to surrender, never give up, even if the world warms and Yellowstone is to erupt. Lift up others, show compassion to those you detest, hone your body and mind, lay your demons to rest. The samurai would tell you the point of life is refinement, to pursue excellence in body, mind and spirit and seek their alignment. Place the ideal version of yourself squarely in mind's eye, concentrate intensely on the task at hand, and day by day you will grow to touch the sky.
0: Wow. That was that was fun. Go ahead, Marcus. Um, yeah, that was honestly amazing. Like I I was not expecting it to be not that I, I had any expectations before, but wow, that was an awesome. Great way to, to finish off the episode. Um Christian, any final thoughts? Alex, thank you so much for joining us today, man.
1: It was a pleasure to talk to you again, as always.
0: Brought a um, new dynamic to the podcast as well. 100%. So, uh, it was an absolute yeah. pleasure meeting you as well.
2: Yeah, look, stellar conversation, guys. Really appreciate it. And all of your work and the paths that you're both on, I think that it's, you know, this is, these are the kind of people I want to surround uh, myself with. And these are the kind of ideas that I want coming through my earphones so download the podcast and listen. <laughs> <laughs> love
1: it i nice still
0: plug there uh, yeah.
1: uh, well awesome. same goes to you man you're an inspiration <laughs> alex you're an inspiration you, you and jade nice both speakers. all right